Hello, and welcome to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize, a podcast about the business side of being a creative. My name's Atish. My name is Chris Scott. And in today's episode, we talk about a coffee meeting I had this last week. And all the different applications of the rules we can learn from it. First off, I would like to say that I think we have some magical uh, powers and lots of influence over Netflix. Do we? Because Lagan is on Netflix now. What? Yeah. Dude, um, I don't know how old that, like, I forget when that movie was made, but I could easily see how, um, like, if it only just got put on now, it's probably just because there was a certain, there may have been, like, a surge of, like, three watches in the past year. Oh, that's probably all were me. Yeah. How many times did you watch it over? Once. I only watched it once, but still. Like six times? So the movie came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. And there was also a documentary out about the making of Lagan. There's a documentary about the making of it? Yeah, and I almost didn't watch it because of the title. What was the title? Um, uh, it's like Lagan, like Madness in the Making. And you watch uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't even read the titles. I just saw that it was a how-to documentary or whatever about the movie. Uh-huh. So I pushed play on it, and then it does like the long, slow credits on the inside of uh, the beginning. And the and the, at the last two slides it was, and this film was dedicated to, and then there's a long pause, and it's the second uh, still is madness, and I just immediately what? and I rolled my eyes, but I pushed through it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's one of those movies that I'd be interested in actually watching the making of because, well, I mean, I guess I would be, but aren't people more uh, curious about stuff like uh, things where there was a million different problems on the set or like, like basically um, what would be happening on the set of Tropic Thunder if Tropic Thunder was real, that would be the making of movie that, or no, that they made a making of movie, right? Of Tropic Thunder? That was the whole, that was the whole plot of Tropic Thunder is at the end, the movie that they release is not about, the events of that book, but it's about the filming of Tropic Thunder. I'm not sure the, I forgot that story point of Tropic Thunder. It's like the dead end of it. Oh, I don't remember. But, but so it's like some production where a whole bunch of shit went really wrong and you know, whatever. I think that's what people are interested in watching the making of, or like, uh, wasn't it the shining where Stanley Kubrick was like driving that one chick insane? Yeah, but he yeah. did that for everything. They all had like a lot of movies have that. Every movie has its unique problems and solutions, and it's re- it's really bizarre how movies ever get made. And mm-hmm. it's really bizarre the solutions people find to make it happen because it's never the same. It's there's never a cut and dry movie where you yeah, show yeah. up, shoot, you shoot the stuff you want to shoot, and then you go home. No, it's it's always a roller coaster ride. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I guess I'll have to watch the making of Lagan then. But I watched it and. I guess the director had had directed two films before that and he wanted to really make this movie and he wrote this movie about cricket in India and mm. apparently uh, at the time that was not like the type of movies people watched back then. What do you mean? Uh, sports movies with English people in it in uh, rural parts of the country. Yeah. And so he wrote this movie and then he pitched it to the uh, actor in it. The guy that plays... The, the lead guy. Buvon, or what's his name? Yeah. It's like Amir or something. Yeah, I, I forget his name. And uh, and he ended up being a producer on it. So he's the one that kind of 
financially backed it and brought it to life. Right. And they're, they're, this whole roller coaster ride, there's like a day where they hire 10,000 extras uh-huh. for the cricket scene when everybody's cheering. Mm-hmm. And that's, they did that all in one day, which is crazy. Wow. Wait, they hired 10,000 people in one day? Yeah. Fuck. For one day, yeah, of shooting. That sounds crazy. Hmm. Well, I'll definitely uh, check it out. No, you won't. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've I've been looking. What have I recently? I've been watching that show, uh, Crashing, with Pete Holmes. Okay. Uh, That one's pretty good. How far into it are you? Uh, Still first season. I haven't gotten that far. Yeah. That one's pretty good. I think it's hit or miss. I think there's some episodes where it feels like it's uh, like the like the stand up is kind of staged and forced. Yeah, and some of it seems legit and funny. So, well, I mean, to to be totally honest, Pete Holmes for me is kind of a hit and miss comedian, anyways. Like I've realized, I think it's kind of like um, you know, when you go on a streak of drinking too much coffee, coffee starts to do less and less for you because your adrenal glands are less responsive. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like what I've done with comedy. You know what I mean? Like at first, there's a lot of people who are funny, but then I started listening to people like. Um, Doug Stanhope and Jim Norton and uh, Jim Jeffries and people like that who just are like really dirty comics. And now I can't really appreciate like a clean comic anymore. Like now I don't, I don't really think that's funny. Uh, well, you'll get back to it eventually. Like observations and like, and like, do you ever notice that, uh, see men do this and women do this and uh, like, you know, whatever. It's just like, I, I can't enjoy any of that. Or I lack an appreciation for it, maybe. Because, it's, because you're not observant? Uh, I'm because plenty observant. you live in your own little Atish bubble? Uh, no, belay that remark. That nobody, that nobody's allowed to see and you don't look out of? No, it's blacked out windows, blacked out doors. Right. Anyways, so... <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like your soul. Yeah, so why don't you tell me about this uh, coffee meeting? All right, let me tell you about this coffee meeting. Uh, what would you like to know? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you were telling me that it was a coffee. Do you mean you went to go get coffee with someone or this was a meeting about coffee? Because in your life, this could it could be either. Exactly. So uh, remember back when I was talking about emails I was sending? Uh-huh. And I sent an email to this lady who's a local movie producer and she's really well known in the community. And she hosts like the PBS Classic Movie Hour mm-hmm. every Saturday night on the local PBS station and... She teaches at the university some film production classes, and she's uh, pretty uh, into the whole movie scene. She's a script consultant, so she gets to give notes. Yikes! So she's Likes. all over all over the business, pretty much. Right. So she's and she's an older lady, so she's been around a while, and she's kind of just like hanging out. And okay. so I wrote her an email because that's back back in the day. I was like, we got to write emails, right? Yeah. And reach out. Wait, do, do you mean this? Did this actually happen back in the day or did this happen recently? Uh, no, you read the email that I sent her. Oh, okay. This is that. Okay. That person. That lady. Okay. So I thought, when, I thought when you meant back in the day, I thought you meant like actually back in the day. Oh, no. Oh, no. But uh, okay. so, recently. So I reached out to her and she said, I'm busy for the next week. Can we do it then? Unless it's urgent, then we can have a phone call. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I can wait. I'd rather do this in person. And then she, the week passed, and then she was like, oh, actually, I'm really involved at the book fair. I'm running some panels for the book fair. Can we do it after the book fair? 
I guess what book fair? We have a giant festival of books here. Uh, that's a, the one at the U of A, right? Yeah, and there's like thousands of authors and tons of people go there. And apparently, it's a big deal for book lovers. Hmm. And I was like, all right. So after that, just let me know when you're free. And we picked a day last week and we met. And she was like, you pick the place to meet. Just as long as it's, you know, we can get coffee or tea. And as long as it's quiet, we'll be good to go. Uh-huh. So I don't know if, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there are any quiet spots anymore in the world. Yeah. And I feel like if I there mean, are quiet spots, they're kind of lame. And like, you just want to get out of there as soon as possible. Um, I mean, I went to, uh, there's that tea place on right across from Rincon Market. I forget what street that's on. That's on 6th, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that place was weird. Um, but that place is quiet, but it's like one of those, like they serve like, uh, Chinese tea and they're all, they have like hundreds of varieties and they're really into it and they do like the traditional tea pouring, you know, whatever. And it was like, I went there once, but that was, that became like a whole thing in and of itself. But, but were you stuck there for like an hour because yeah. the whole tea process and well that, but I mean, I mean, not like not, uh, it, it was actually really, uh, I'm, I'm framing this wrong. It was really pleasurable and really enjoyable. But what I mean to say is it's like, it's not one of those things that, uh, like people casually have on their mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I went and it was super enjoyable and uh, I don't know shit about tea, but I had this, I think it's called Puer tea and it's vaguely coffee-like. But anyways, um, the whole, uh, like it's, I don't think that's something that you just like out of the blue because it was very quiet, but I don't think you're like, all right, we want to have a talk about like whatever, like let's, let's just assume that she'll be down for this uh, whole tea thing as opposed to just a regular like, you know, even if she doesn't know where she's going, she knows what she's doing, like par for the course sort of uh, right. endeavor. Well, I, I picked a coffee shop. That's actually, I think it's called Tucson Roadrunners Roasters, Tucson Roasters Coffee Company. Never heard of it. Right. Uh, not a lot of people I know have heard about it, but it's on the east side. It was closer to her end of town because I don't want to meet up somewhere. Like by When my you side say east side, do you mean like... Do you mean just like Wilmot or do you mean uh, – or like Alvernon or do you mean like east side, east side, like when, what I mean when I say east side? No, not definitely not your east side. This whole okay. east side of Tucson thing can be a huge debate. Yeah, because everyone calls – everyone calls – A heated debate. Uh, yeah. No, it is because I know what the real east side is and everyone calls central east side and that's dumb. Okay. Well, I guess it's central then. No, it's, uh, it's up by uh, Swan and Camp Lowell, kind of the nicer northeast-ish. Northern, yeah, that's that's side. That's that's central. Whatever, man. Whatever. It's not. Anyways, it's not anyways, central. Okay, so you went to this coffee shop. So, and the last time I went there, I met my friend uh, Jaime there, and mm-hmm. it was just me and him and no one else, and we just had the whole place to ourselves. And I assumed this place was mostly a roasting place with a little coffee shelf, and they sell coffee, so you can walk in and have coffee if you want. But mostly, they sell their coffee beans and their grinded beans and all that other fun stuff. Okay. Uh, but not this morning. This morning, everyone and their mother was having a meeting at this coffee house. Oh, my God. And as soon as I got, I got there early, I showed up at 9, 9.30. The meeting was at 10. And, okay. okay. Uh, I was like, well, it's packed. I got to wait for a table. And then people kept walking in and people kept walking out, but nobody was leaving their tables. Everybody was just in and out to get their coffees and Right, yeah. Everybody else was just camping there. So I was kind of stuck sitting outside. 
of this coffee shop on a little patio area. And it was a little cool, but not too cold. So I was concerned because some people get really cold and some people don't. Yeah, especially old ladies. And luckily for me, she did not get cold. So oh. we were able to sit outside. It was quieter outside. Uh, this coffee shop's right next to a Nico's Tacos. Oh, my God. And it's in a strip mall next to a, to a Bash's. And uh, it's like a, it was a, it was, it's a nice little coffee. The coffee's really good. And they give you a chocolate-covered espresso bean. Mm-hmm. So you can have a little sweet coffee bean. And then sip your coffee, Sweet coffee bean. and then you're, you're good to go to start your day. Yeah. Yeah, you've got everything you need, and you've even got a Nico's right there. There's a Nico's. I was thinking, if it gets way too crazy, we can always go into Nico's and get breakfast burritos. Yeah, there you go. And that would have been, that's, I, that's a preferable meeting as far as I'm concerned, yeah, anyways. That would have been hilarious. But, it changes um, into a breakfast burrito meeting. Yeah. So going into this meeting, I kind of didn't have any intentions for the meeting. I kind of just knew I needed to meet this lady and network. And I showed Uh, up early to figure out what the heck am I going to talk to this lady about? I have no idea what I'm going to talk to this lady about. Wait, wait, wait. You just kind of went in with an open agenda? Yeah, you read the email that I sent her. It's kind of like a, hey, I exist. This is what I'm doing. What do you think? Yeah. And that's kind of how the meeting went too. But I wanted to get away from that and have some sort of intention and reason why we're meeting. Right. Otherwise it just seems too abstract. Right. And so I got there early, but I was thinking the night before, what am I going to ask this lady? I'll figure it out in the morning. And then the morning came, I'll get there early and I'll figure it out when I get there. (laughs) And so I hop on my computer and I see like a YouTube video that I haven't seen yet. And so I'm watching that. And so she shows up early at like nine 50 and like, great. Mm -hmm. Those are my last, those are my 10 minutes of figuring out what I'm going to talk to this lady about. Oh, fuck. They're gone. They're out the window. Yeah. Now you're doing stuff off the cuff. I'm doing stuff off the cuff. So uh, I think that's an important tip to think about before having a meeting with someone. It's like, what is this meeting about? Have you ever done that thing where you're just even having a conversation with somebody like, uh, like somebody of some importance that you want something out of, or maybe they want something out of you or maybe, you know, whatever. So you kind of like, jot down notes on the things that you might say or things that you want to like gently guide the conversation towards because even if it's a casual conversation you want to make sure you hit these specific points do you ever do that no oh really so wait you're having a conversation with someone no 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 i'm not having it yet i'm going to like i know that this is going to happen like they say oh yeah like we should we should sit down and talk about this or or uh hey i heard you had blah 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 but I, I don't know some something like that and it's even if it's just like a regular conversation about something like not necessarily a meeting i always like have key points that i want to that i want to make sure i'm hitting because i want to like I don't actively want to obviously turn the conversation to that to that uh, topic, but I want to gently guide it there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so I have all these like predetermined pivot points, <laughs> so I know how to get myself on track. Right. That's what that's what I was planning on doing before showing up there, or right. those ten minutes before the meeting. But yeah, I failed miserably in that department. Yeah. But, so, so you were just kind of going off the cuff. Just going off the cuff. And I just, I don't know. There were, there were, there were, there was a thing about, I don't know. I think I, I forget about this a lot, but I, 
So I used to do these crazy life coach conferences, right? Right. Where these life coaches would invite people to a, a conference. So it's like 300 ladies mostly. And they would tell them how to run their businesses better and sell them mm -hmm. packages and all this other stuff. Right. But from what, from what they taught us or from what they kept telling everybody is that you have to tell everybody who you are because nobody knows who you are when they walk in through the door. And mm -hmm. I kind of went through a whole phase at this meeting where I assumed she knew where I was, but who I was because I sent this email like three, four weeks ago. Yeah. But she doesn't recall anything from the email. And so I have to kind of repitch myself like right there at the, at the meeting. Wait, she didn't recall anything about the initial email conversation, but she still she, knew she to show up to this meeting. Like f from the very first email where I introduced myself, said, Hey, I'm Chris. I'm a local filmmaker. I do this. I do this. I have this idea for this. Mm -hmm. That initial email, she doesn't remember, but she knew that I, she was someone I wanted to meet, I guess, based off of that email. But I had to reintroduce myself in person because it'd been, you know, a month. She's a busy lady. Right. Yeah. Going through crazy book festivals and <laughs> whatever else she was working on or traveling for. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's another thing I kind of need to work on a little bit is my whole uh, self pitch, my whole self story, uh, how I tell myself my story to people when I first meet them. Well, well, that, but also, uh, I think that's part of, and that's, that's not something I've never, or I've ever really, uh, done all that much, but I think there's some like valid, um, there's, there's like valid merit to, uh, what I guess we'll call the Costanza method. Do you know, uh, you're familiar with Seinfeld? Yes. Yeah. So I, I do have a Costanza, another Costanza thing happened during this meeting. Oh my God! You... <laughs> but well, this is a very George Costanza meeting. But this was a George Costanza. This was meeting? a super George Costanza meeting, and I, I don't know. Tell me, well, tell like, me your I, George I Costanza thing that you want to talk about. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I forget what episode it is in particular, but um, he's like kind of dating this girl who he feels doesn't like him very much. But he's just like, I need to just be around her enough so I get stuck in her head, like Costanza, and then I'll just get stuck in her head, and she'll just like want to be with me then because, and then she won't even realize why. Uh -huh. So it's like one of those things that, uh, like staying at the forefront of people's minds so that they identify with you as whatever it is you are selling or whatever it is you're pitching. If you stay at the forefront of people's minds like that, they'll automatically, anytime they want, you know, in your case, video work, they're like, okay, who do I know who could do video work? Oh yeah, there's that guy. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I, she was like, so tell me about your uh, project that you're working on. And I'm pitching this murder mystery night, basically. Uh -huh. And so I'm pitching the high idea of having two short films and a live element in between. And then she's like, well, what are your two short films? And I would tell her the ideas. And she's like, oh, these are very uh, solid stories. They're very pitchable ideas. Why don't you just pitch these as features? And I'm like, I want to do this this uh, night to kind of promote myself, to kind of make a name for myself in the local community. So there's not just these two other big companies that everybody sort of knows, but as like the go-to people to go to, I want to be the new option. Right. Like, like you, you want to demonstrate, like you're trying to prove something basically. Yeah. And so she thought that was a great idea because, uh, uh, doesn't believe in monopolies or being one the only guy in town and having friendly competition is a good thing which, uh -huh. is, which is what she said it was a very uh political way of saying uh yeah keep going with that idea keep moving forward yeah. with that idea <laughs> and so uh 
let's see what else she asked me about the shorts i pitched the shorts and she we try to figure out the live element of the night right which, which which arguably could be the most complex portion of it exactly and who knows if it's going to work but we're going to make it work right it's going to be great it's going to be great i'm not worried about that at all yeah no yeah obviously not but i will be at some point but did she so she liked your idea of using this night to as as like a jumping off point. Well, not only that, she liked my ideas that I was pitching, the the stories I wanted to tell, and then she asked mm-hmm. me even f- further questions into that as to uh, what type of director do you want to be when you grow up, or what type of stories do you want to tell, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. I f- it felt like an interview, which was good, and she was liking everything I said. Like I felt really good the whole way through. Just as a, just as a, uh, like a point of curiosity, if you had to guess, uh, who is doing the most talking between you or her, uh, and, and, you know, however you think about that, if you think about that, that is binary, like zero and one, or if you think about that in percentages or something like that, who would you guess was doing most of the talking? Ooh, I'd say me by a slight, well, no, I mean, I think at like 70, 30. I was actually talking a lot, which doesn't happen. Like this, yeah. this podcast is going to be a crazy Chris heavy podcast. Yeah, this is so far. This is a Chris heavy podcast. Usually I'm uh, rambling on about I'm, something that I fall asleep through. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You're very interesting. Atish. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, this we'll, we'll talk about this off the air, <laughs> uh, but it, it felt pretty good. I mean, I, I felt confident in my words and saying, what I, I didn't stumble a lot like I'm stumbling now. There wasn't a lot of ums or ahs or. Well, well, the only reason I, I bring that up is because a person. So, in no way, especially I need to I need to preface this with a uh, with a uh, what do they call that a uh, like a disclaimer a preface. No, I'm not going to preface it with a preface. I'm going to preface it with a disclaimer that. Um, this has nothing to do with my political affiliations. This also has nothing to do with my social affiliations. Uh, meaning that like, obviously based on new information, I don't, uh, condone anything this person did, but I have to say one of the people I at least used to, uh, really admire in a sense was, uh, Bill Clinton, Mm -hmm. But not for his political stuff or like and especially I couldn't put a finer point on it, not for any of this uh, other stuff that's breaking the news. Like certainly not. Um, but I feel like I've given a disclaimer like this before on on the podcast. I think it was for a uh, mystery. Wasn't mystery. Mr. E wasn't the the book guy, the the oh, the game. Um, yeah. Mystery. Uh, no, Neil Strauss, the game. But yeah, also mystery. Yeah. Mm. The game, yeah, um, no, but uh, but uh, I I became fascinated with Bill Clinton because of his like his supposed uh, conversational powers. Mm-hmm. Like apparently he's some kind of like mental Jedi um, when you're in a conversation with him because a lot of people who have actually had conversations with Bill Clinton report to feeling as though like he was very convincing or he like. Um, he kind of could 
could get them to align with his beliefs and he was he came off very nice and and like he was just very believable and all that kind of stuff but then when they looked back on the conversation they're like you know what i was doing most of the talking like he didn't say a whole lot at all like but but yeah he had this uh really profound effect uh-huh. you know what i mean so i i've always grown interested or i've grown interested in that kind of like uh conversational superpower like being able to say very little but but convey a whole lot and be very convincing in that regard right so i'm i'm always curious to see in terms of like those kinds of like meetings and conversations what people's impressions are and who was kind of who feels like they were talking the most or if if anyone was dominating conversation or anything like that i don't know it felt like a very we were conversing back and forth, but I definitely was talking more than I usually talk because mm-hmm. I am a man of few words. And I feel like every time I speak, it's, you know, it's not just to say fluff. It's to. Yeah, it's it's purposeful. Right. So. This that that I was talking a lot, this conversation. Uh huh. She Clinton. Okay. She Clinton's me. <laughs> no, that's bad. That's pretty bad. She straight up Clinton you. Hmm. Um, so, so you were having a good back and forth and she liked your ideas. She liked my ideas for the shorts and she asked me who I was as a director, as a filmmaker. And she liked that. I was talking about inclusion and diversity and all this other fun stuff that's kind of in the press nowadays. Well, well, so what, what did you say when she asked you what kind of a director you, uh, you were, what did you say? I didn't say uh, like she asked me if you had a a director's career, which director would you want to be? And Mm -hmm. I I didn't give a specific name. I said I would want to be a director that crosses, you know, multiple genres and doesn't get stuck into a niche. I wouldn't want to emulate someone else's career per se. Okay. And so it was kind of my answer. I don't know. It's really hard to. I haven't. I usually get asked those questions and I never answer them. Yeah, like, well, it's, like it's, if you're stuck on an island, what are your five favorite movies, or what five movies would you take with you? Yeah, and it felt like uh, you know I don't I don't answer that. It all changes and evolves. Yeah, exactly. It seems like also it it seems purposefully like the question is um, purposefully difficult to answer mm-hmm. because it requires you to be really sort of self analytical and being able to you know, understand not only the way you feel and the way that you think, but how other people interpret the way you feel and the way you think and how they place you and where you place you and kind of the, the correlations and differences between those two different things. And that I, I don't even know how to navigate that. <laughs> uh, she also asked, uh, you know, what type of stories do you want to tell and what type of movies do you want to make? And I told her, you know, my whole underdog one man, army type of things but you know more a more diverse hero yeah someone who's a little more ethnic and not so white not so plain jane yeah or token generic generic's a good word yeah which i think um as as kind of a side tangent i think that that's kind of the thing that's becoming a major struggle in uh movies these days because you can pretty much solidly have just a super generic three act movie that has your like introduction of characters and introduction of plot, some rising action, then climax and resolution. And you just do that. Like that's, 
you know, I, I think that a lot of like Marvel movies have definitely gotten really good, but they're definitely kind of stagnating for me. Yeah. And, and I think I think I kind of end up ripping on these movies a lot, but they've kind of conceptually stagnated for me because every movie is virtually the same. Like you can use those same descriptors to describe every single Marvel movie there has been. And therefore, there is no real um, tension or there is no real anything because it's like, I know how this goes. Right. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I feel like a, like the last three or four Marvel movies, except Black Panther, had a ship show up to take everybody off the island or the planet or the city that was getting blown up. Right. It's like, and we get it, Marvel, you're saving people. That was that was a that was I read an article that the big difference between DC movies and Marvel movies is that Marvel always shows the heroes saving people and DC just mm -hmm. blows up buildings and fighting each other. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that has something to do with it, but I I also think that there's no um, like as long as the those kinds of movies are still topping the box office, there's really no incentive to try and do something that uh, actually has complexity right like for instance um i just recently watched a video on deconstructing uh the girl with the dragon tattoo okay and um and i really like the swedish ones i didn't realize those were made for tv i think you told me that uh, they're made for tv which is crazy swedish tv must be fucking nuts i can only imagine let's go to sweden i'll find out yeah um I think isn't that one of those places like finland and sweden during the summer it's like daytime for you know a long time, like 20 hours of the day or something like that. And then during the peak of winter, it's like nighttime for 20 hours. I'm used to that. I'm from Alaska. Oh yeah. I forgot. Um, but yeah, the, the cool thing about dragon tattoo, um, they were talking about the, uh, the, uh, American version, the American version. But I mean, I think this, because it follows that I, I felt like the American version was pretty much, uh, like, a shot for shot remake of the Swedish one. Mm -hmm. Like it incorporated, it was very much the same story. Um, but what they were saying about it was that it wasn't like a generic three acts sort of thing. Uh, like, like, um, like Marvel movies, but it was, uh, it was a five act movie. And inside each of those five acts, it has its own um, introduction of story, rising action, climax, and then resolution. And that happens and it peaks and valleys in between each act. So there's a constant like kind of ebb and flow of the story, just like natural sort of life that there's like, here's some stuff that's happening and then things calm down for a second. Then here's some stuff that's happening and it calms down, but it doesn't take you all the way back to the same level of calm before anything started. So you're like incrementally, it's like, it's like a staircase. You oh, know what I mean? Okay. Okay. So you do like that until you finally hit the main, you know, the the whole wrap up of the movie. And then 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 you like have a deep, profound care for the characters. And like you act, there's actually a sense of danger because you have something to lose. Yeah, man. <laughs> I guess what I mean to say is that uh, it's like those are actually interesting movies. But as long as, you know, you can pretty much be guaranteed that you can do like a three act movie where um these are the villains and you the here's the all is lost moment but then at the end you pull it out and you uh are victorious against an army of uh all these non-character uh aliens or robots or somebody that you don't actually have to like give a shit about you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
Like that's kind of what Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy or like any of them are. It's always some fucking horde of these characters that don't matter at all and are super inconsequential. And that's the opposing force. And then so there's no there's no emotion tied into it at all. Right. Anyways, I think we were talking about your movies. <laughs> well, no, I, I think the thing about these Marvel movies and action movies, I th- if you look at action movies from like the 80s or 90s, it was, you know, it was about a, a, a guy overcoming some major obstacle. But, mm-hmm. but the characters were set up well. The story was – the obstacle was set up well. The villain was really cool. Newer Marvel movies don't have a solid villain anymore. No. They don't. Although I've heard good things about Black Panther. So, I still haven't seen it. Black Panther has a really good villain because you can relate to the villain. In that movie, mm. it, felt, it feels like both the good guy and the bad guy are good guys. Like they have solid yeah. points and they're making good points and it's hard to distinguish what side you're going to take. And it's, it's a, it's a solid movie. I think black Panthers is, has a solid bad guy. They set up the characters. Well, the storyline set up well, it it's executed well. So it's, it's not like, I don't know. A throwaway movie. It's not a throwaway movie. It's not like, uh, I, like that new, uh, kickboxer movie that just came out. <laughs> That didn't just come out. No, they made a second one. On like a second reboot one? So there was a one, there was a reboot one, and Jean Claude was the trainer, and uh, the fighter's brother the got one, killed. Which one's the one where he goes to Thailand to go train with some people or whatever? And that's the one with George St. Pierre. That was the, the first the one. UFC. There's a second okay. one. They made a second one. That was Kickboxer. Uh, like kickboxer vengeance or kickboxer something like that but the new one's retaliation okay it's terrible it's worse than it was worse than that one really yeah damn that's a shame vengeance it was kickboxer vengeance was the first one i just watched um predator for the first time in a long long time Uh uh-huh and uh man there are so many parts of that movie that i just uh, forgot and how like I never thought about like how just fucking ridiculous, like what a display of like 80s cinema it was that what that scene where they like first uh, somebody gets jacked and they like sense him around somewhere. So they just shoot down the entire forest. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm t- talking about? Like, yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. like, <laughs> like it's just a vulgar display of like, yeah, we know you're just here for the action. Like just let's, let's do this thing. We're just here to blow shit up. It's fucking great. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it all comes down to character development and character building and using machine guns to cut down trees. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People don't do that anymore. So you were describing to this person about kind of where you saw yourself in the mix of all this. Right. Like what movies you're making or how you are as a director. How I am as a director, what stories I wanted to tell, what I think, you know, makes a good movie or, or, or what I would want to put in my movies basically. Yeah, and then it was yeah. it was a whole. Well, what have you made before? I was like, what kind of stuff have you made? And I would be like, oh, remember this one short I showed you ten years ago? And she's like, yeah, I kind of remember Wait, that. Wait, do you really mean ten years ago? Yeah, something like that. Oh my god! So I met this lady about ten years ago. Maybe not ten years. Maybe like seven years. It's been a while. <laughs> Long enough. And um, and she was new to town, and she became friends with my friend Autumn. And she, 
Autumn said, let's show this to our to my new friend who's a film producer. And so we showed it to her and she loved it. She thought it was a really good, well-told story. This was the short. Yeah, it was a, like a little... From many moons ago. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes if anybody wants to see it. Dope. Called Je Suis. Wait, are you serious? Je Suis? Je Suis. Wow. Was this your like, conceptual art film days? Yeah, it was definitely an artsy film. Mm, awesome. So uh, she's like, oh, I remember that. What, what else have you made? And I told her I made this feature a couple years ago. And she's like, oh, you've made a feature. Send me a link to that trailer. I want to see the trailer. Nice. And so I'm gonna, I sent her a link to the trailer. So she seems genuinely interested in your shit. She seemed very, uh, very interested. And then towards the end of the conversation, she was telling me that she met a gentleman that runs uh, Desert Angels. And Desert Angels uh, is a as a uh, it's a, a group here in Southern Arizona of angel investors. That, oh, okay. That you can apply for. You can apply to have your project, your movie, your business. You can you can pitch them your idea, and they it's like Shark Tank, but here in Southern Arizona. Hmm. And she was telling me that she recently had uh, or had met up with the guy in charge of that organization. Do they say uh, for all those reasons I'm out? No, they actually, when um, I was working at a, for the film office here in town, there was a pitch fest mm-hmm. and they were sponsors of the pitch fest. And they, they said the winner of the pitch fest gets to actually come to our meeting and pitch to everybody. Oh, their okay. movie idea. Th- this was that thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the guy that runs that organization, Desert Angels was telling her that he wants to revive the film industry in Southern Arizona and all the same stuff that I was saying about diversity and inclusion and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And she said um, that he might like my idea for the murder mystery night. Yeah, and for the amount that I want to raise for it, that's like probably chump change to him. So let hmm. me let me send an email to him, see if he'd be interested or not. And if he is, uh, please send me this so I can introduce you properly. Send me a link to your trailer. Send me your resume. Send me your website. Yada yada yada, yeah, yeah. and then, all, all the information you might need. And so she said she was going to send out a feel, feeler email, and then if that went well, this, I would be cc'd on everything else after that. Hmm. So that part felt pretty good. Yeah, definitely. I think I think something that you can't underestimate, whether it's um, whether it's business or whether it's in the film industry or anything like that, is uh, the value of a good referral. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it, I think it says a whole lot. Like these days, your your reach can be immense. Like you can have like such a good social media campaign, or you can be on every website or everything like that. But if you have somebody who's influential, who actually likes what you do, or tells people about what you do, I mean, that means everything. Like that's how I feel. I think that uh, most jobs, like something on the order of like sixty to seventy percent of jobs today, are acquired from somebody you know as opposed to the traditional method of just like sending in your resume or something like that like i don't think that really happens anymore right or people are recruited because they're doing a great job at this one place right like oh you brought value at this place like therefore we want you over here we'll give you this much money blah 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 exactly or like or how uh you know a lot of sales reps work is if they get the referral of one agency or one uh one business or something like that that gives it to another like that gets you in the door so much easier uh-huh. um so i i feel like that's kind of that's a really powerful tool that if you can have somebody who, who has some sort of 
influence who's uh, in your corner and like will help you get in contact with the people that you should pitch to. I mean, that's that's immensely helpful. What do you call that? Social uh, leverage. Social. Uh, you, I, I feel like social you, climbing. I think you could talk about this a lot. Me. Social justification. Social. Oh. Um, shit. You talk about it now. Yeah, of course it's gonna social proof. Social proof, thank you. Yeah, exactly. If uh, if you've already like, it means a lot more about you as a person if you've de- demonstrated your value to somebody else. So if somebody else sees you have value, people intrinsically assume that you have something you can bring to the table. Uh-huh. It's pretty much how I operate most of the time. You're social proofing yourself. Oh, I'm social proofing myself. Like I uh, social proofing yourself right now, man. Am I? Um, I always, I kind of need to uh, ensure that the, it doesn't really matter how many people uh, think you have value or something like that, but it has to be the right people. Um, So, so you were, you got possibly a really, really strong referral. Right. Very strong referral. And I was feeling pretty good. And I feel like at that point in the meeting, we're about 30 minutes in, probably less than that. Uh-huh. I was I was feeling really good about it. I feel like I kind of pitching my mystery mis- murder mystery night idea to her and the short films that I wanted to make kind of justified me moving forward. Like I had right. like they made them valid, made them made me feel like, "Oh yeah, these are good ideas." Mm-hmm. You know, having that moment of Yeah, you had you had like what you thought was an an educated or uh like well-informed person that you could sort of like bounce your ideas back on so it justified your thought process because here's somebody whose opinion you actually respect right. and who knows what you're doing and therefore if they like it then that's like just another another uh another sort of equivalent mind or a person who gets what you're doing who thinks it's a good way to go about it. I mean, that's always I always feel like I work stronger in pairs. I think in groups, everything gets a little fucked, uh-huh. but it's like I spend so much time trying to rationalize with myself, whether or not, um, whether or not something's a good idea or what the best way to go about something is. So I think that's why it's important to have, uh, like everyone always thinks like, Oh no, we don't want to have arguments. We don't have want to have arguments. And it's like, well, yeah, don't have an argument. Reframe it though. Have a thoughtful uh, discussion right. or a thoughtful, thoughtful disagreement, I think was the term. I think, uh, I'm getting this from, uh, Ray Dalio's book principles. Uh, is this that really thick book? The, the black one. Yeah. That looks like a Bible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Um, and, uh, he talks about how a, a good way to really ensure that you're doing something the correct way is to have somebody who, you know, is also of an equivalent level of intelligence or like who gets what you're doing, like has good expertise in your field. Um, And then you each, like, if you are disagreeing on something and the best way to go about it, you have two minutes each to just talk without being interrupted and kind of like present why you think it's the best way. And if you both practice that sort of quote unquote radical open-mindedness, you're able to take the best points out of each other's stuff and then apply that like in a productive manner, as opposed to just digging your heels in the sand and oh, I want to do things my way and this person doesn't get it and yada, yada, yada. Right. Or just having someone to say, it's like, why are you doing it that way? And being able to justify it yourself kind of validates it more than just because I said so. Right. If you can actually explain why you're doing something, I mean, that's, that's kind of, uh, 
it means that you actually have a tangible plan of attack, sort of. Right. And it's not being stubborn or heels in the sand, like you just said. Right, right, exactly. Like, you're not just, like, blindly thinking that you have the best... Uh, basically, one opinion is never going to be uh, stronger than than two. Right. Essentially. Or it's not going to be as well-rounded. So, anyway, so... You, uh, so we're at the point <laughs> of the meeting where I like pitched my night. I even told her the possible title of the night and poster artwork that I got uh-huh. made for it. She, everything was great. She loved it. Everything's great. And there was a kid that walks out of the Nikos and it was a really funny kid doing something really funny. And we turned and looked at it and we left at this kid walking out of Nikos. I don't remember what the kid was doing, but it was, I guess, adorable would be a good word to say. Uh huh. And at this point I'm like, uh, what else am I going to talk to this lady about? Yeah. Okay. We just had a solid 30 minutes. Everything she said or everything I said, she loved everything she said, helped me feel validated. Uh huh. What, what, what's the, what do I do now? And why did you feel like you couldn't just, uh, just say, well, this was really helpful and like end the meeting there. Why did you feel like you had to continue? Well, this was a moment where I was contemplating that. Okay. So I pulled a George Costanza and I left on a high note. Oh my God. I forgot that this was, that there was another Costanza moment. Yeah. Coming. yeah. So this is where I was like, well, this was so helpful. Thank you very much for your time. And I stood yeah. up and she was like, Oh, okay. And then she stood up and we shook hands. <laughs> oh, okay. Like she didn't realize it was that, it was that, um, abrupt. Like she yeah. didn't even, she didn't even realize yeah, it was, was like, Oh, and then she like, she like hopped out of her chair all fun and she was like, we shook hands. She's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to email this guy. Just send me your resume and your trailer and we'll, we'll see what happens after that. Look at, well, look at that. She had her key takeaway like action points, mm-hmm. you know, for actionable items that she knew that she could uh, take care of once she, once she uh, left the meeting. Right. So then I was, I was like, I left on a high note and then we left and we parted ways. Beautiful. And, and how many days ago was that? That was on a Thursday or a Tuesday or something. But I've emailed her. My resume and my, it was a Wednesday. I emailed her my resume and my trailer. No, it was Thursday that we met. <laughs> yeah, I met her on a Thursday. I emailed her Friday. And now it's the weekend. And we'll see what happens on Monday when this podcast comes out. Yeah, perhaps perhaps uh, you'll have some more information on Monday. Well, that actually, I think there, there are two principal Costanza-isms that I think are actually very, very helpful. Number one is to go out on a high note. Uh, I think the, you know, the statement, um, uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I think that that's a perfectly, like it's a really intelligently, perfectly written sentence because if you think about it, it covers all the different kinds of lies. Uh There's lies of commission, which are basically like, do you swear to tell the truth? It's like if you you are telling anything else that is you going along with some different version of the truth, then there are lies of uh, omission, which are nothing but the, or uh, do you swear that? swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. So you may leave out elements like, you know, do you swear to tell, like not omit anything? You have to, you have to say everything regular or say everything, uh, that's, that's, uh, relevant, Uh but, uh, then they wrap it up with, and nothing but the truth, meaning don't add any extraneous information that, you know, is not required or may fog up the point. And that's kind of what happens. It's like, sometimes you can 
make things less clear or do yourself a disservice in a meeting if you actually try and say more because you might overstep some lines or, you know, kind of talk yourself out of a sell, sale, basically. Uh-huh. And so I think a, that's a good Costanza-ism to follow. The other Costanza-ism, and this goes back to that ra- radical uh, open-mindedness, is uh, that episode where he does everything the opposite of what he normally does. Oh, yes. I remember that one. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And I think that just has to go with that. Like the reason why that's important is doing a firm evaluation of um, things that are outside of your comfort zone or things that are not in your direct wheelhouse. Like we always return to the same well mm-hmm. in, um, in a lot of our practices. Like, oh, I know I do this well, so I'm just going to keep trying to uh, – keep trying to do it using that particular pathway. But if you don't even evaluate other options, if you don't have that open-mindedness, then you're never going to see that perhaps there's a more optimal way to do things or you would get better results out of something. It's it's basically not using the scientific method in any of your practices. You know, I'm starting to realize maybe I should write a a like you know how they have philosophy books that refer to television shows? I should write a business book, but Referring to Seinfeld. To Seinfeld or just George Costanza? Um, I'm not really sure what you can learn from the rest of them in terms of that. I, I really – I think I I used to think Kramer was my favorite character, but I've really started uh, liking George more. So maybe that's just where my head's been at recently. Okay. You can relate to George more? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've always, well, I've always thought George was more interesting than Kramer or even Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Well, well he's Jerry always in was, turmoil. He's always in turmoil. Yeah, and everything is always so like intense and Jerry, yeah. ah, you know, like whatever. It's like it's Jerry was pretty much the straight man, and they made him the guy who's just like uh, he evens out all the time. Uh-huh. Like you know that episode where like he loses twenty dollars, but then he gets twenty, he finds twenty bucks in his jacket or something. Mm-hmm. It's like he's just there to kind of create a baseline with which these other characters like kind of hopscotch back and forth over. Um, so there are episodes where George is up, but then he's down, but then he's down and then he's up. And like, that's kind of just the way it goes. Um, but, but Kramer is too chaotic. So there's no, there's, there's less, uh, relatability there unless you're like a super wacky guy. Like he's also a Charlie from it's always sunny, you know? Right. Right. Whereas I, I think I always relate to, um, the characters, like I like Dennis from Sunny the best and I like George from Seinfeld the best. And so it's always these characters that are constantly like scheming and trying to get things over people and like do that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So I don't know what that means about me personally, but, um, so much, so much, so much. Well, it sounds like you had a really productive meeting. It, had, it felt good at the same time. It felt like, what did I, was that good or not? I don't, it, I don't know. It was like a weird. You didn't leave with a strong impression that like that was uh, that was kind of the way it needed to be. No, I left with an impression of like, uh, I, I look what I just did, uh, and nobody noticed me, or nobody noticed, or like everyone thinks it's good, so I'm gonna walk away, and it still feels good. Yeah, but I was kind of like BSing the whole time. Hmm. Like I don't know, it's a good way to explain it, or are you getting what I'm saying? Well, are you? <sighs> How much of it is just you evaluating it that you're BSing it because you're too close to the picture? Right. That's, and that's what's maybe, happening. Yeah. You, you may be uh, in a little bit or a little bit suffering from something that a lot of people with uh, kind of a higher modicum of intelligence do, which is that uh, you, you're 
you're you've got some imposter syndrome going on right now. It's exactly like, that's exactly what's happening. You're wondering how long it's going to be until you're found out. Like like oh well, I mean I'm trying to do this, but how long until people figure out that I'm not qualified for this, or that like I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know how to make this meeting, or something like that. When in the other person's mind, you wanted to do this meeting, you scheduled it, you put it together, you're here, you're having a nice conversation, and you're talking about your movie, and they actually like your ideas. Right. I mean, this sounds like self-sabotage to me. I'm definitely self-sabotaging. But she did say something in the meeting that kind of uh, threw me for a loop a little bit. Uh-huh. And it was a whole uh, – you have you can have all these great ideas, but then uh, pitching it to this person with a lot of money, the de- desert angel guy. It's like it's a difference between someone that's made a film before and someone that's given $1.8 million to make their feature. Right, right, like, right, right. Whoa, I've never been given one point eight million dollars. That's true. And it's kind of like, e. but that that, that kind of like put through a little wrench in my gears and my brain, mm-hmm. which made me do a little more self sabotaging. Yeah, well, but, I mean, but it, what I was doing was it felt good. Like the meeting felt good. Like I felt good about that. But then it was like it was a big step for me getting to that point and mm-hmm. being uh, having shared good ideas with this person whose ideas I respect and then yeah, yeah. going on to a next level of, Oh my God, is this next step going to be a $1.8 million pitch to somebody with a lot of money? Mm-hmm. It's like, e, we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, it, that that's kind of the, it's interesting how you're always going to be sort of kept on your toes. Like if you're elevating your level, like you'll know when maybe you're not going the right direction when you're not being kind of like scared or challenged like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you kept doing pitches where you could just BS through them and get a positive response, um, it's kind of like that saying, like, you know, you never want to be the smartest person in the room because then you're in the wrong fucking room. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, it's, it's like if you were constantly always having this easy of a time, I don't think you would end up getting the money that you need to make your films or like you would, you would be, able to start the production company that you want to start or anything like that. Like, I think that's kind of the the thing is that, uh, you, you have to be going into these things, um, a little bit wary. Otherwise it's a sign that you're probably not growing in the right direction or at all. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it, it sounds to me like it's a, it went really positively. Yeah. It, it, it was a good meeting. It felt good. It was a positive meeting. She responded to emails I sent after the meeting. So good. things are. So she hasn't written you off totally. That's great. Right. So it's, it, it's all good. But now it's just that whole. What what now? Now I'm just waiting to see if things happen, and it's just this weird right. limbo. It's like, what do I do? So I keep. I'm going to keep moving forward uh, with my plan to make my short films. I got one scheduled for the beginning of April, mm-hmm. and hopefully that goes off without a hitch. You have it all casted and stuff? No, I'm still. I'm, I wanted to get this cast all figured out this weekend, and that's another thing I didn't do. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to find, especially with you've had a lot of uh, shakeups in your cast. Um, but I have my two main characters, and the other ones they'll fall into place. I'm pretty sure they'll fall into place. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll fall fall into place. I feel quite positive about it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So you're kind of you're going in the right direction. Uh it sounds like your value is kind of increasing for sure. 
Right, which is and, which is the whole point of like what I've been trying to do this year is increase my value, at least in, yeah. in the local community. Basically, you're uh, you're stepping your game up. Stepping my game up. I'm trying to get out there more, meet the right people, build an audience. It's all this is part of it, and it feels yeah. weird and awkward, but it's kind of it's going well. Yeah, for someone who self-proclaimed that they were bad at networking and that they uh, they don't enjoy it or they they always feel awkward or something like that, I mean, it seems like you're doing a really good job of it. Right. That's 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 me. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you you identified the right people that you want to talk to, and then they're going to work within their network and stuff. So instead of kind of chasing down all these false leads or something like that you're finding the right sources and all that kind of thing i mean i think it's on the right track yeah i feel good now you just yeah now you just need to make sure your next pitch you have uh a lot of a lot of things to bring to the table a lot of information something for this person to digest and hopefully you can walk away with 1.8 million yeah that'd be dope man imagine if you if i had 1.8 million dollars to make a movie then what kind of movie that would be uh that'd be fucking crazy it'd be a crazy movie it'd be a fun movie lagon 2 lagon 2 you should okay. You kind of should watch that documentary. It's not as long as the movie, but still. Walk or so so watch the watch the documentary. It's not as long as the regular movie. Yeah, I would hope not. That movie's long. <laughs> but but it's uh, it was like a good. If you don't know, have you never watched like behind the scenes of movies? I don't know if you ever watched that. For for American um, for American movies, when you watch behind the scenes, it's always like positive stuff. Like oh, this director's great. Oh, so and so is a great actress. She really brought things to the table. And challenge no, me last, as an actor. The last uh, kind of behind the scenes thing I watched was a review. It was a movie review of was this the a- first Star Wars prequel, the the Phantom Menace. Okay. And um, so obviously it was pretty scathing, but it legitimately like the the movie review itself was like an hour and a half long. Like it was it was about the length of a movie and it just had so much behind the scenes stuff that made you think that George Lucas didn't actually know what the fuck he was doing. Right. Right. Like at all. Like at one point he's just like, you know, if I forget to yell cut or I forget to yell action, somebody just yell that for me. And it's like. Uh, but how will we know when you want to start and stop? Like, how are we supposed to know that? Was this a YouTube thing or was this uh, legit? Yeah, it's it's a YouTube thing. Oh, I let's put that in the you. notes. I want to see that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting, and it just like it's. I kind of forgot about that because I watched it when it first came out, like when it was in theaters, and I was a kid. Uh-huh. And then I probably watched it like maybe once after that or something like that, but. I haven't seen it in easily, I mean, probably 10 years or something like that. So I completely forgot the story. And it's like, man, when you actually, like, when you watch it with, like, clarity, it's like, this is garbage. Like, it's actually really, really bad. Like, there are just continuity errors and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Usually when you watch behind-the-scenes stuff on DVDs and commentary and all that stuff, it's usually, like, a positive, like, facade. It feels fake and not genuine. Right. But right. uh, the one about Lagan was kind of – it was from like a lawyer's point of view. Mm-hmm. He was writing letters home and he was like, this terrible thing happened today and this great thing happened today or this terrible thing happened today. And it kind of shows you like a legit life of being on a film set for four months. Yeah, and yeah. how it's great and then really terrible and really great and then just super terrible. And then just you're stuck in terrible for a minute until something really great happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another uh, documentary called Lost in La Mancha. Okay. And that was for this movie about Don Quixote. 
Uh-huh. And I don't think the movie's that great, but they just had trouble after trouble after trouble. But, yeah, but yeah. like watching the documentary about the struggle, it's it's more it's what it feels like on a film set more so than these happy happy fluff pieces you see. Yeah, like everybody's having a good time and getting along together, and we're doing it all in the first take. And blah, exactly, blah, blah. exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that's why I like the show Entourage. That's why you like the show. even Entourage is a little fluffy. Yeah, it's a little too positive, but it's good. well, things always end up working out for. Uh, for Vince. Exactly. Go Vince. Go Vince. But watching people struggle through something to create something, I think not a lot of people get to experience, but people get to experience the end product and whether they think it's good or bad. And I feel like people should kind of just like familiarize themselves with the process of creating something. Like, yeah. like we all should watch how did this get made or on that science network show. Yeah. Yeah. Or speaking of, I've been going hard on lessons from the screenplay like i think i've already watched every single one. Oh yeah yeah well it's um it's really good because it it opens me up to like the hows and the whys of what they're doing when they're filming like i think there's one about um this scene in uh in the godfather where Michael is supposed to kill these two guys at the table when he walks out of the bathroom, but he doesn't, he hesitates. And then he sits down at the table and then shows you kind of like, without saying anything, without making it obvious, like that's why it's good filmmaking is it's not making it obvious to you, but it it's like, it's basically demonstrating that he's going through this tough decision making process because the camera starts panning in on him, but he's not actively moving and then uh, you're so you're not seeing any of the people he's talking to at all. Like it's an over the shoulder shot, but facing him. So all you're seeing is him and it just keeps cutting in closer and closer. And then all of a sudden you just hear the sound of a train going by. So you don't even hear anything anymore. And that's kind of the 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 feeling of like it bubbling over like he's committing. He's whatever. And then all of a sudden he just uh, hops up and just shoots these guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, it's, it's just such a great way to kind of see, because there, there are things that like, I understand what's happening in the movie in terms of plot, but I don't understand the methods in which they use to best evoke that thought or that feeling or something like that. You know what I mean? And that's something that's kind of new to me. So it's, it's really interesting to watch. But yeah. So yeah, everybody check it out. See what you think. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out and check out this, uh, Lagan documentary. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it sounds like you had a really productive meeting. I'm really curious to see where this goes for you and uh, and whether or not this might be uh, something you're you're on the cusp. Maybe. I'm on the tipping point. We'll talk about that yeah, maybe, next week. Yeah, we can talk about Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point and Outliers and Blink. I've read all of those. Uh, let's just do one. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't read any of them. Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.